Well, good evening, everyone. We're in week three of seven weeks that we're devoting to the study of real people, just like us, people just like us who were tested, people who were challenged, people who were called to go all in. And we're learning together what it means to be totally committed to the Lord our God and to His mission in this world. And we're learning it, so we will pass the test with flying colors. And so we will respond unselfishly to the challenge. And so we will, without hesitation, answer the call to go all in. On February the 19th, 1519, the famous Spanish explorer Cortez set sail for Mexico with 11 ships, 110 sailors, and over 500 soldiers. Two previous expeditions had failed to establish a settlement in the New World, and the population of Mexico at this time was about five million, so the odds were stacked against him, and yet Cortez conquered Mexico, and he conquered much of the South American continent. But what he did after landing there is an epic tale of mythical proportions. After disembarking, he gave the order to burn the ships. He turned the mission into an all-or-nothing proposition. And as his crew watched their fleet of ships burn and sink, they had to come to terms with the fact that returning to Spain was not an option. They were all in. There was no plan B. Retreat was not a possibility now. Now, I'm not defending the morality of Spanish colonization, you understand, tonight. But I do think this true story serves as a vivid illustration. That there will be intersections in our lives when we need to burn the ships that represent our past. There will be times when we need to make an all-in decision that will eliminate the possibility of sailing back to where we used to live. There are times when you burn the ship of past failure. You burn the ship of addiction. You burn the ship of a bad habit. You burn the ship of regret. You burn the ship of guilt. You burn the ship of past values. You burn the ship named a bad attitude. You burn the ship named the old way of life. One of our traditions at Ozark Christian College was to begin the fall semester with a bonfire at which we challenged the freshman students to return to their dorm rooms and to bring back any items that they believed might hold them back in their quest to be the Christ follower that they wanted to be, to be the Christian leader that they believed God was calling them to be. And then we would sit around that fire, we would stand around that fire playing guitars, singing, spontaneously testifying, usually for a couple of hours. And students would go to their dorm rooms and they would come back and they would step up and throw DVDs and CDs and articles of clothing and condoms, and books, and magazines, and all this sort of thing into the fire. And each year, 
We had that experience with our freshmen. I was reminded of the passage in Acts chapter 19, verse 19, when revival broke out in the city of Ephesus, and those who had practiced sorcery burned their scrolls publicly. And it says in the text that the cumulative value was 50,000 drachmas. Now, a drachma was a day's wages. So 50,000 drachmas is 138 years of work, 3,739,972.50. That's what I call a serious demonstration of all-in commitment. Mark Batterson says it doesn't matter whether you're trying to lose weight or get into grad school or write a book or start a business or get out of debt. The first step is always the longest and the hardest. And he said you can't take a step forward into the future without also eliminating the possibility of moving backwards. I think he's right. I think that's how you achieve future goals. I know that's how you break addictions. I know that's how you reconcile relationships. As Paul wrote, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. He said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. You leave your past in your past by burning the ships. Now, there's a Cortez-like story in God's Word, and it's found in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21, and you're going to recognize a couple of names here, Elijah and Elisha. I want you to know it's not the same guy. It's two different men. Both were prophets. One succeeded the other, but it's Elijah. God is Jehovah. And Elisha, God is salvation. Two different men. So here we go. 1 Kings 19, 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah, let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Well, Elisha didn't burn any ships, but he did burn his plowing equipment. It became kindling for a barbecue. He barbecued his oxen for a kind of Last Supper celebration. He wanted to say a final goodbye to his family, to his neighbors. It was the end of his old life as a farmer. It was the beginning of his new life as a prophet. He would never go back. And what we're seeing tonight through the lens of Scripture is we are seeing Elisha's all-in moment. Elisha wasn't just buying in. Elisha was selling out. And it all started with a call. 
Earlier in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, we read about the retirement of the prophet Elijah. After he received a death threat from King Ahab and evil Queen Jezebel, this weary prophet prayed to be relieved of his duties. So the Lord directed him to anoint Elisha as his successor. Elijah did it one day by throwing his cloak, his mantle, over Elisha's shoulders, symbolizing the transference of a prophet's responsibility and authority. It was just the two of them, nothing ceremonial here. It wasn't a big deal. Elijah just came up to him, put the cloak on his shoulders, and continued walking. And Elisha ran after him, and he requested to go back and kiss his father and mother goodbye. And Elijah said, go ahead. What have I done to stop you? So after, after that, Elisha followed Elijah, became his attendant, eventually became his successor. Now, these two men were very different, and I don't have time to trace all the contrasts between them. But although they were very different, they became great friends and they became great co-workers. And I'm impressed yet again at the people that God chooses to use powerfully for His purpose. Leader and lawgiver Moses was keeping Jethro's sheep, his father-in-law's sheep. King Saul in the Old Testament was at first taking care of donkeys. King David was originally tending sheep. Gideon was a farmer turned military leader. The prophet Amos was a horseman. The shepherds abiding in the fields were the first messengers of the Christmas story. Now Elisha is called away from a plow. Now God never calls a lazy person. He never does anything significant through a lazy person, but he has called a lot of common men and women. And we tend to undervalue and underestimate ourselves. But I'm telling you, God does not. He knows that there is great latent potential in each one of us, and he loves to use ordinary people. But Elisha's call was just the beginning. His all-in moment also involved an act of consecration. We talked a little bit about this last week. His consecration involved both surrender and sacrifice. Elisha went back, and he incinerated his plowing equipment, and he butchered his oxen. So he's not just quitting his job, folks. He's divesting himself of his share of the family estate. He is writing himself out of the family will. He didn't hedge his bet. He wasn't retaining something to fall back on in case his prophetic ministry didn't work out. Elisha went all in. He said yes to God's call. He said no to his possessions. Unlike the rich young ruler last weekend, Elisha seized his all-in moment. And this was no small thing. His family farm was in the Jordan River Valley. It had to be amazingly productive and profitable. And we know he had at least 24 oxen. He had 12 plows. He had 11 full-time employees. He was likely the firstborn son. He's managing the agribusiness for his father. So Elisha came from wealth. It was all his to inherit. And he literally kissed it goodbye. C.S. Lewis writes, it's difficult for us today to understand the bonds that tied a family together in Elisha's day. To understand the extent to which Elisha was willing to go to answer God's call on his life. 
We may sing, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, but for many today, there's no willingness to separate from family or anything else for that matter to serve God. And some parents are just as unwilling to bless their children to follow God's leading in their lives. Elisha kissed his possessions and his parents goodbye. But many professed believers <clears throat> have never kissed anything goodbye. Well, those of us chosen and entrusted with the leadership of Crossroads are convicted that God is calling our church to this kind of sacrificial consecration that we see in Elisha right now. It's been 10 years since we last tackled a significant financial challenge to build onto our church property, to expand our global missionary outreach. But you know, don't you, that where we are today is a result of that vision. Where would we be today without our nursery, without our preschool, without our children's classrooms, without our student theater, without our chapel? Where would we be today without the tripling of our missionary partnership support in just the last seven years? I can tell you that there would be about 3,000 fewer people in our church member family right now and literally thousands fewer internationals in God's kingdom. Steve Larmy just spoke to our men's fraternity right back here in the chapel this past Thursday morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. He reported that the evangelistic ministry of young life that started in Ethiopia, one country in Africa, is now in 23 countries out of 55 in Africa. They have seen 30,000 professions of faith in Christ, and that's just one of our missionary partners. Only in eternity, only in eternity will we know the full impact of our campaign back in 2004. With this new calendar year, 2015, we're on the threshold of another season of financial challenge. To upgrade and expand our facilities, and to launch a new multi-site approach to ministry so we can be all in for our city. And to broaden our global outreach so we can be all in for our world. And to deepen the discipleship of every person who calls Crossroads their church home so we can be all in for you. We're a church that exists to seek and save and serve people in the name of Jesus. We are a church on purpose, God's purpose. We are a church that's not content to sit and soak in the good things of God. We're a church that's called, a church that is sacrificially consecrated. We are a church that loves the Lord, His Word, one another, the lost in our city and in our world. We're a church that has demonstrated generosity demonstrated a willingness to share. And we are a church that's seeking to take hold of life that is truly life, 1 Timothy 6. So this week, every Crossroads household should receive a colorful and uh, inspiring printed piece at your home. 
captures the detail of where we are and where we're going in the days ahead. I want to encourage you to carve some time out of your busy schedule one evening during the next two weeks to unplug from the television, to unplug from your electronics, to sit down personally or as a family to talk about the content of this printed piece and to pray about how God could use your generous response to help us reach our city and to reach our world for Jesus in this generation. Our pastors and our elders and our staff and 1,300 of our Crossroads folks who attended one of our vision nights last fall. Everybody was invited. 1,300 people attended last fall. These are the people that will be leading the way in this exciting time. And our desire is for this to be a unifying experience. All, all in, 100% of us together. We want it to be a deepening experience. All in, as disciples making disciples. But it'll only happen if each of us accepts this invitation, seizes this opportunity to go on a generosity journey that's potentially life-shaping, life-changing for both us and for our church. Elisha was called. Elisha responded positively. Elisha consecrated himself, and no one can consecrate you but you. Elijah consecrated himself, and so his life was changed from that time on. And what did that change What did that change look like? Folks, listen. Elisha gave up what he loved for what he loved more. Listen, he must have loved the comfort of having his family in close proximity to him. He must have loved the convenience of living on the land and working the land of his boyhood. He must have loved the security of having a good job that provided a great income. But he loved something else more. He loved the Lord more than he loved his family and friends. He loved serving the Lord more than he loved working on the farm. And he loved the heart rewards of meeting people's deepest needs more than being well paid monetarily. And then in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, flash ahead, Elijah and Elisha are saying goodbye. They're having a final conversation before Elijah is taken up, and here's the way it went. Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Does that sound just a little bit presumptuous to you? How could he ask for something like that? What right did he have to make such a request? Well, it was because he was all in. This was a prayer for God to grant. Not Elijah. Elijah couldn't give him a a double portion of his spirit, but God could. And when you're all in with God, you can ask Him for anything. You have more power in prayer when you are all in. And the reason why some people do not routinely experience answered prayer is because they've never 
gone all in. They're not all in. And the reason why some do not experience the fulfillment of their life dreams is that they're not all in. James chapter 1, verses 5 to 7 makes it clear that being all in is vital if we're going to live wise lives, if we're going to live stable lives. Take a look. If we want wisdom and stability in life, we must ask God. Trusting Him and not doubting, that's another way of saying all in. For whoever doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Let me say it this way. If you're double-minded, you want what God has to offer, but you also you want what's out there in the world. You want what the world holds up on a platinum platter in our generation. If you're double-minded, you're not all in. And if you're not all in, you're not in a place to receive the double portion of God's blessing. Elijah's life, Elisha's life, rather, radically changed with the double portion of Elijah's spirit. You know, it'd be really hard to rank the Old Testament prophets, but I think if we were ranking the Old Testament prophets, if I had to, I would give Elisha the edge. After all, he parted the Jordan River. He raised a young man from the dead. He made an iron axe head float. You read about that in Scripture. In all, Scripture documents six major miracles by Elijah and 11 in Elisha's ministry. Well, that's not double, is it? Six and six is 12. If it's, if it's going to double, if he's going to have a double portion of Elijah's spirit, he's going to have to have 12 miracles. Well, I want you to listen. The 12th took place in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21. This is when Elisha died and they buried him. And the following spring... While some Israelites were burying a man, they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. And when the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Now, you remember that old spiritual about this miracle? Foot bone connected to them. Ankle bone, ankle bone connected to the leg bone, the leg bone connected to the thigh bone, the thigh bone connected to the backbone, the backbone connected to the rib bone, the rib bone connected to the neck bone, the neck bone connected to the head bone. Now hear the word of the Lord. You remember that one? Thanks for indulging me. I promised my wife I wouldn't sing it. I couldn't help myself. That was the twelfth miracle. So God not only used Elisha in amazing ways for 60 years, he used him to give life after he was gone. And going all in will change our lives while we live. And God will use us greatly while we live, but he will also bless us posthumously with a life-giving legacy after we die. I really believe this. You know, folks, I never used to think 
<clears throat> I never used to think about my legacy. But now I think about it almost daily in this season of life. It matters to me a lot. It's the only thing that I can leave behind that truly matters. And what is it that creates a legacy of righteousness and godliness and humility and honor in the lives of your family and friends who will survive you in the future generations? It's your choices in the present that become your legacy in the future. So let's talk about choices. Your Heavenly Father wants to begin by blessing you right now. He wants to rise up in you right now. He came to give you life more abundantly now. He wants you to come to a knowledge of the truth now. But He can't. He can't unless you're all in. Which means you are this one decision away from a very different life. Craig Groeschel describes it in his book, Fight. He says, stop skipping church whenever you feel like it because you stayed up late the night before. Or there's a game you wanted to see. Or you want to camp out. Or someone might stop by. Or whatever other excuse you want to make up. Stop being a phony. Wholeheartedly commit your life to Christ. Stop going to church and consuming. Get yourself and your family involved. Make a difference. Serve. Tithe. Give offerings. Pray. Engage in the life of the church. Start growing spiritually. Stop pretending. Do something different. Act. We're talking about a decision here. We're talking about a choice here. And the spiritual tipping point is when we realize that the pain of staying the same is so much greater than the decision to change. Can I say it again? You are one decision, one choice away from a very different life. So what will it be? Unlike Elisha, we try to ignore the call or we refuse to consecrate ourselves or we resist change. But this choice will keep us from God's best. And that's when we need a prophet to walk into our lives and throw a mantle around our shoulders and wake us up to new possibilities, wake us up to a new reality. Will you stand with me for prayer? Our Father, uh, we are learning so much from the lives of those who made an all-in decision, who had an all-in moment, and they seized it. And we're learning 
we're learning even from the bad examples of those who came to that intersection and and chose not to go all in. This is where the road forks in front of each one of us and we all make our own decision. We all make our own call, our own choice. Lord, give us a moment of truth, sanity, clarity. We want to push it all to the center of the table. Everything we are and ever hope to be, all we have, all we own, it's all yours. We push it to the center of the table in this all-in moment. In Jesus' name, amen.